We have one remaining Liberty individual, and he's not going to let her leave the aircraft at this time. He made me feel very sure that uh, we had a very real and horrifying threat. We don't know who he was, where he came from, or where he went. We're here, we're live. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Folks, the game is, uh, what we're going to do is we are going to um, flip a coin to start this thing. And uh, the, I guess the loser of the coin toss um, has to defend, I guess, ha has to like make a case for whatever suspect I pull out of my Northwest Orient stewardess bag here. Um, oh, God, there's all Marty's books. But yes, yeah, so I have a Northwest Orient bag here and I have all these suspects in here. So the loser of the coin toss has to defend uh, whoever the uh, the person is, okay? Has to defend them. All, right. All right. So, um, Marty, uh, your camera flipped. I mean, we're looking at your books here. So, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You they they're back. Okay, we saw like the back end of whatever you're you're looking at. So, okay. Yeah, the video keeps freezing. Well, I'm not, I mean, is it my, is it, is my video keep freezing or what? Or is it, well, whatever. Um, Marty, your, your, your internet probably stinks on ice, but it's okay. Um, anyway, so, all right, so, anyway. I'm so in the middle of nowhere, yeah. Yeah, 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 I know, we'll figure it out. So we're going to flip a coin here. Oh, I'm freezing. Maybe it's just you. I mean, I think I've got good, good stuff here. Uh, anyway, whatever. I don't care. I mean, this freaking Facebook Live. Anyway, see, Marty's clear. All right, so uh, we're gonna flip a coin here, and whoever loses the coin toss uh, basically has to defend uh, the suspect, and then the next suspect we go to, uh, it flips. So we just keep, go back and forth. So I'll defend, then you defend, then we defend. All right. So Ryan is freezing a little bit. Well, of course. God damn it. You know, of course. Uh, hey, man, I, I have no idea what the hell is going on. So if I'm freezing, the video's all good, whatever, hell, let's go. All right, so uh, we're gonna flip, I'm going to flip a coin. Marty, you call it. Heads. Heads, okay. All right, so it is, is that heads? Yeah, that's tails. So I'm the loser. So I have to defend uh, the, the first person uh, who we draw. So let's get on, let's get, let's get on here. So the first person that we're gonna draw out of the hat here uh, that I have to defend, let's see. It's, okay, <laughs> Vincent Peterson, okay, 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 okay. How many fingers okay. does he have? What's, uh, nine and a half fingers. Okay. Um, okay, all right, so, um, so Vincent Peterson, and basically, I mean, I, I guess, uh, 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 I guess he's tall. Uh, <laughs> he's a man. Um, okay, so Vince Peterson was about 50 years old. Uh, he's about the right age, I'd say. Um, if you believe in the tie, I mean, look, here's the, the thing about the tie is that it is, it's evidence. I mean, it, it is evidence. I mean, you know, there's no doubt about it. I know, Marty, you agree with it too. It's evidence, right? I mean, there's no... Sure. You know, it, it, we just have to, you know, figure out what it means. I mean, I, I'm i not a thrift store person. I don't think you would get a that sort of thing at a thrift store, especially with the tie clip already on it. I, I didn't sit well with me. So, 
Uh, and I think it's a little too on the nose that the tie has aviation links, right? And we're dealing with an aviation type of crime. I, I think that's, that, that means something to me. Um, but anyway, uh, Vincent Peterson, how would I defend Vincent Peterson? Okay, so, um, man, okay, okay um, I guess you could say, I mean, shoot, you're gonna have a lot easier time on this one. Um, I don't really, shoot, I, I uh, yeah, homely, he was homely, he wasn't a good looking guy. Um, he worked, he knew, he knew airplanes, I guess, um, because he worked for Boeing. Oh, shit. Um, <clears throat> God. Okay. Not, he's not swarthy. No, he's not. Um, okay. Yeah. So, I, uh, he's a man. He was about 50 years old and he had, he sort of had a link to the, the tie. Okay. That's all I can do on Vince. You would go your turn. Well, no, I, obviously he's too tall, the nine and a half fingers thing, but I would want to, because it's the tie evidence, maybe we should focus on that in that I think it's very unlikely that one, that the tie owner is a metallurgist. They're, it doesn't make sense to me. I would expect somebody like down the hierarchy, maybe a you know, sales staff, manager, office administrator who is working with this stuff, not the top echelon guys who are making a good living. It doesn't make sense. Okay. So that, okay. So yeah, I, I, you know, and that's a, and that, and look, I mean, that's a problem. I mean, I'm sure we'll, we'll draw for it all eventually, but like, yeah, I mean, that is a problem with these, with these metallurgists is, I mean, these guys weren't poor. And again, I mean, if I'm fired, I mean, you know, Eric uses the term pink slip in hand a lot, man, if I'm fired, I'm not committing a capital crime. I'm getting another job, you know, or I'm dealing with it, you know, I mean, it's, you know, you, I mean, and again, the problem is there's no evidence. We have no evidence that there were any layoffs at Crucible, like none. Like, I mean, we've looked for evidence. There's no evidence because Crucible had their hands in not just in titanium, you know, but in just steel for building everything. I mean, it wasn't just, you know, the, the, the titanium things, whereas, you know, a company like, for example, like Verval worked for a titanium company, essentially. Um, that's a little, little different. You know, I mean, that, you know, his business was shut down, but there's no evidence at all. Um, you know, I agree that, yeah, so the, I, I like what you're saying about the, him being a lower echelon, you know, I like middle management sort of, you know, that makes kind of sense. I, I, I don't know. So, okay. Yeah. Vince Peterson, let's, let's move on. All right. So now it's your turn to, to, to uh, defend someone. All okay. right. Who we got here? Who we got? Digging, digging, digging. Who, who we got? Who we got? Oh, no. Good luck, homie. You got Barb Dayton there. All right. So go make a case. No, for Barb this, Dayton. Is, this is easy because we have a confession. We have somebody linked to the crime who lived in the area. Uh, she's, you know, in her male persona, she's reminiscent of the sketch. She had the aviation knowledge, like the PPL that we're looking for. And um, her background in, in the Merchant Marines would give her the ability to comfortably, um, you know, connect the money to her harness. And she was a, um, a daredevil. So it's not out of her character. Yeah, okay. That's my case, is that, is that she fits psychologically, I think, kind of, maybe not the transgender part, but definitely the daredevil um, kind of annoyed with society part. Okay, I can I can definitely I can definitely uh, feel that. 
Okay, so the problem for me with Barb, you know, is that, you know, Barb is five foot seven, and that is just, just way too small. Um, I, I would, I mean, I don't know what universe you'd have to exist in for a five foot seven person to be mistaken for six one or six foot tall. That's just not, I mean, again, you know, Tina Mucklow is five eight. So, I mean, it, you know, Cooper's not, I mean, obviously if, if she felt Cooper was taller than her, which she did, you know, because she said five, 10 to six feet tall, um, then, you know, she, she's, she's looking up at Cooper, you know, when she's talking to him. Um, what's that? She could have worn lifts. She could have worn heavy boots. Well, I added a couple of inches. I do, but uh, Barb's five foot seven, blue eyes, blonde hair. Now, again, master of disguise, I guess you could say. But um, the problem with Barb is just there's no evidence. And if you read the book, I mean, which I have, you know, it's full of errors. I mean, there's a lot of it's not Rekka bad. You know, it's not that sort of level of just garbage. Um, but it, it's, you know, you know, um, I believe. Barb, correct me if I'm wrong here, um, but I believe Barb's narrative is that she jumped uh, in Oregon, right? Uh, further south. Yeah. yeah, further south. I mean, uh, south of the river for sure. Um, and now again, that, that would have been a smarter place to jump, as we all know. That's, you know, the, the Willamette Valley would be a good place to jump um, for sure. Um, so let's see. So yeah, I would say that Barb uh, is just not, you know, either I do agree. Look, I mean, the daredevil persona, and I believe Barb did have skydiving experience recreationally. That's my understanding. Um, and Barb was a pilot, um, which, you know, as your dad can attest, uh, there is decent cause to believe that Cooper was a pilot. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, I, I've talked to Mac about that, um, McNally about it, and I've said, you know, would, would, would you know that flaps and gear down create drag? And he just said, no, said, that, I don't know. He said, I was on a, I mean, you know, Mac was on a plane for 2000 hours with the military. And he said, all, I think all, he said, all he knew about flaps was that they were used on takeoff and landing. He had no idea what other function they would have to create drag. Right. right? So, I mean, that does require some better knowledge. And so I, I do think the pilot thing, you know, certainly makes sense. So, Okay, Barb, uh, Barb, all right, so let's see, who we got, who we got, who we got, all right, we got, all right, so it's my turn to defend now. Uh, no, you're kidding me. Okay, okay, cue the laugh track, people. Richard Floyd McCoy, that's, uh, geez. <laughs> it's not like I didn't just write 6,000 words on why Richard McCoy is not D.B. Cooper. Um, yes, folks, I devoted an entire chapter of my book to why McCoy is not Cooper. Okay, to make the case for McCoy. Well, I mean, honestly, I, the fact that he did it um, matters. Um, the fact that he had the stones to do it in the first place, right? I mean, that, that counts for something. Um, uh, he wore makeup the second time, or if... Uh, Okay, well, look, how about this? Des despite their best efforts, Richard McCoy's location is actually not known on that night. Okay, that's, that is, I mean, I, you know, again, I just wrote 6,000 words on the guy, you know, um, saying why he's not Cooper, and that is a missing, that's a missing part of it, is they, they could never produce the kill shot that put him, that, that 
put him somewhere, you know, that day. Um, now, the problem is the class he took that morning, we think he took a class that morning, um, but we're not sure, you know, if he was there or not. Um, but so the case for McCoy would be that he's done it before. Um, he did look older, um, but yeah, I, well, I'll, again, I'm, I'm, I'm defending the guy, so I can't, I, I don't want to, you know, say why he's not, but um, he had the knowledge. Okay, so McCoy was a daredevil. He did it before. He was a pilot. He was a, he had a, I believe he had a private pilot's license. I'm not sure about that. Actually, I think he did. I mean, he definitely flew choppers for sure, but I think he also flew uh, planes too. Um, so he had that. Uh, he's actually the right size. I mean, he's 5'10". Um, he's 5'10". Um, oh, uh, he was balding. Um, he needed money for sure. Okay, so... Yeah, I mean, okay, the case would be that he needed money. He had the knowledge. He had the means. He had the motive. Means, motive, opportunity, I guess. Uh, knowledge. Um, I mean, he's not he – he, he looks like a sketch, I guess, uh, vaguely. I mean, enough, I would say. Um, okay. Yeah, so uh, your turn. Go. Attack McCoy. So how did he? Okay, so we we know the witnesses all said no. We know that um, he didn't have money to do anything with. He didn't. How did he get to the airport? How did he get to PDX? That's a good. Yeah. Uh, I guess. How did um, he get back? How did he get back by ten a.m. the next day? Yeah, yeah. I mean that's the thing. I mean, look, he's. He is seen on his couch by a foreign exchange student who shows up. McCoy was a decent guy, despite being a terrorist, I guess. But, you know, McCoy invited Best a... Terrorist uh, in was, yeah, I mean, I think he was Filipino. Uh, he invited a Filipino student to come to his house uh, for Thanksgiving dinner because he didn't have anybody to spend Thanksgiving with. So, and he reported that he got there about 10 a.m. and McCoy sitting there on the couch. And he got up and said, hey, how you doing? And they went and made Thanksgiving lunch, right? So um, we have that. Uh, yeah, you're, you're right on that. Um, but yeah, and I agree with you. I mean, the, the main thing is I don't know how you can have a suspect that all 10 eyewitnesses say is not the guy, right? That, that's, that's hard um, to overcome, especially when McCoy's witnesses all said it was him, even though, he, even though McCoy was wearing makeup, you know, and, and, and all kinds of crap. And had a weird a wig or whatever, you know, those witnesses still still picked McCoy out of a lineup despite the fact he was wearing makeup. Um, so, um, yeah, you know, again, you know, we've gone over McCoy to death, and I know you and, you and I are probably, what's funny about this conversation is that you and I are probably the most well-versed two people on the planet to attack McCoy. I think we've done the most research on that. We know how much money was in his uh, checking account. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. We knew how much gas was in his pocket. Yeah, it's, yeah, we know. I mean, I guess the argument, you know, I guess Greider's argument is that, uh, Greider's argument is that, uh, I guess that he lost the money, right? He he jumped over the Columbia and lost it or something. Which, again, McCoy was smart enough to bring a bag that clipped onto his harness, right? So that was a smart move on his part. And uh, Rob Heaty did the same thing too. So both of our skydivers did that. 
you know, um, and, and yeah, and, and smoking too. I mean, I, you know, there's no evidence he ever smoked. There's no evidence he ever drank in his life. Um, you know, I mean, I think he did like to gamble, um, perhaps, um, which, you know, I, I, guess, I suppose that's against the Mormon creed, I guess. But, but yeah, McCoy's been gone over to death. And um, there is, folks, there is no chance. I mean, there's no universe where McCoy is Cooper. Like, there's just, just not. My, my big problem is that the McCoy people never put their narrative within the constraints of where we know McCoy was. So he's got to be home at 10. He could be gone that day, but he's got to be able to get the PDX. And they have to expand it, you know, by three or four days to get it to work. And that's what's frustrating is we know facts, and they can't fit the story right into the facts. Yeah. They've never we can create a fictional narrative that works. They just don't. Yeah, that, yeah, you're right. right. I mean, they, 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 I mean, they don't even try, really. I mean, there's no, but yeah, because how can you be, I mean, how can you, you I, I don't know. I mean, look, I mean, Port, I mean, or, like Washington, Portland is far away from Utah. I mean, I know it's all the West, the Western states here, but it's still a long freaking way. And how does it get back? I mean, I mean, I don't think you can drive um, from Portland to Salt Lake City and, or Provo in eight hours or whatever. I mean, maybe, I mean, 10 hours, maybe you can, I don't know. I mean, I guess you probably could. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, back then, probably not. I don't know. You know? I think it's, I think it's 14 hours. Oh, so you, you, I've looked at it. Oh, so so you looked that up? Before? Yeah. It's 14 or 16. I can't remember exactly. He just, he has just enough time to do it, but he has to steal a car or rent one. Yeah, he has to steal a car not and not have any unforeseen things come up to delay him. Um, he's got to be kicking ass all the way, to, you know. Like, he doesn't know where he is. That's the thing. He has no clue where he lands, and he has to extricate himself, and he has, like, a half an hour leeway to get that. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and, I mean, that's the thing about him is that, I mean, look at how detailed his, his hijacking was with, you know, the coordinates. I mean, you know, I mean, he knew exactly where he was when he jumped. Um, Cooper, I mean, I mean, I mean, people can have all the conspiracy theories they want about what was in the bag and whatever, but folks, Cooper had no way of knowing where he was, just period. I mean, you know, he didn't even, he didn't even tell them what speed to fly at. You know, people think it was 200 miles an hour. He never said that. Right. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, they could have been flying 250 miles an hour. And by the time he looks up, you know, they're, they're in Oregon, right? I mean, it, it, we don't, we just don't know. Um, we think that his, you know, by having the flaps down and the gear down, certainly that would eliminate how fast they could fly. And I think he knew that, but he still didn't specify an exact speed. And again, um, you know, you know, here we go, freaking flight path. But, you know, Victor 23 is what, eight miles wide, yeah. right? So even if, even if he engineered a way to, even if he knew there were going down Victor 23, if he engineered it that way, it's still eight miles wide. He didn't know where they were going to be, you know, within Victor 23. And I mean, so now it's just, he was winging it the same way Mac winged it and the same way that Heinemann winged it and LaPointe winged it. And those guys, you know, Heinemann got, Heinemann winged it and got away and Mac winged it and got away temporarily. Yeah. Um, so there's no, you know, reason to think that Cooper wasn't the same way. So Let's move on. So, okay, it's your turn to defend. And who do we got? Uh, okay, I, I mean, th this isn't bad. You, not, not bad, not bad. Gossip. Okay. 
William Gossett. That's not a, not 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 too hard, I guess, for you. Go ahead. No, I mean he had the background we're looking for. You know, he he knew parachutes. He had the military training. He again, we have a, we we have a, a suspect with an actual confession, um, who suggested it it was him. He was in the area. There's a lot going on. I mean, he looks like this. He looks. If you look at my age progressed Cooper um, face app photos, he looks just like it. Yeah, it's almost it's a perfect match. Yeah. No, Gossett's. Um, I mean, the, I guess the problem with Gossett is that just his personality seems, you know, you know a little loopy to be, um, a little a little loopy to be Cooper, a little loudmouth to be Cooper. I, I, I mean, again, I don't know, maybe, but. If Cooper, if D.B. Cooper became a freaking, you know, priest who performed exorcisms, then I'm a monkey's uncle, I guess, because I don't, I don't see that at all. But there are entities, disincarnate entities, that once belong to people living on this temporal plane. And at the time of death, for whatever reason, they elected to remain on this plane and they have elected not to go over to the other side. Um, but you no, know, Gossett, I mean, look, the Gossett is, you know, I, I, Gossett, Gossett was interesting. He was in the Air Force, he was in the Marines, and he was in the Army. I've never heard of anybody being in, all, being in three, three branches of the military. That's crazy. Um, and he did have paratrooper training. Um, Gossett had the skill set, no doubt about it. I mean, that's, and, and he looks enough like, like the sketch for sure. Um, now, I think it's kind of the William J. Smith thing that I think the hairline, people, people, when you put Gossett sketch, when you put a picture of Gossett up against Cooper, especially Carrie, the Carrie sketch, um, people see the hairline. It looks perfect. You know, it's, it's a perfect match. And it's the same way with William J. Smith. The hairline looks perfect. But if you put like a piece of paper over the hair and look at their other features, not so much. Um, Gossett has like no eyebrows. I don't know what his deal was. He had like, like no eyebrows. I don't know if he shaved his eye. I mean, he has no eyebrows. Cooper seems to have pretty defined eyebrows. Um, Gossett does have the turkey neck though. I mean, you know, we have, a, you know, we have, I mean, look, Gossett is a B tier suspect, right? I mean, I, I would put Gossett on B tier, you know, I mean, he's not, He's not Cooper, I don't think. Um, but I mean, you could do a lot worse than Gossett. No, and really, his problem is his his confession doesn't make sense. You know where he landed and what he did with the money when we know that he lost the money. Yeah, if I if I recall, that's, that's a big problem with Gossett. He's a Tina Bar landing guy, right? Well, I or Oregon that he got pushed to the west. I think is is uh, what the story is. And landed, yeah, I think right. landed out there. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right. I think it is. I think he. I think he. I think yeah, he is an Oregon guy. And I mean, you know, a lot of this, a lot of the stuff about the lockbox and him telling his kids this stuff. I mean, you know, what a real jerk um, to tell your sons that. You know, if you're not Cooper, right? I mean, you've got a son now. I mean, that would be a kind of a shitty thing to remember me by is that I lied to you about being DB Cooper. And if you, if you listen to Greg. His son, um, he's earnest. He he thinks his dad yeah. was Cooper. He believes it, and he's not. And, and Greg Gossett's not a kook. I mean, we've got some people who are 
tied to Cooper suspects who are kooks. I mean, Joe Weber, with respect to Joe Weber, Joe Weber was a kook. Um, I think that the Walter, some of the Walter Recca people are kooks. Um, but Greg Gossett is a really solid guy, it seems like. Um, so, um, but now Gossett, I mean, Gossett, uh, I mean, I don't know, maybe. Uh, well, okay, how about that? Well, I was going to say that Gossett's DNA was tested and eliminated. But again, the DNA, uh, I, DNA is not enough for me to eliminate a suspect. Would you agree? Right. I agree, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the DNA that we've got is we have three partial profiles um, that we don't, I mean, again, the tie was passed. I mean, the tie was passed around. I mean, they put the tie in an in a freaking envelope and mailed it <laughs> to across the country several times. And nobody who ever handled it wore gloves or was cognizant of not spitting on it or whatever, you know. Um, so I, I don't, I don't trust the DNA. Um, he was tested against Tom K's DNA. No. Um, with all due respect, you're a kook. I'm a kook. I, Joe, you're a kook. Uh, he was tested against Tom K's DNA. No. Tom, the Tom K DNA that he vacuumed off of Cooper's tie. Um, it's, that's a, that's a long story. It's a kind of a, it's never been analyzed, I guess. Okay. Um, it costs a lot of money to do that. So no, but no, Gossett's a solid B tier suspect. I, I can attack him on just his personality, but again, I mean, we don't know what Cooper's personality is. I mean, you know, I don't know how you or I would behave about, you know, when we're committing a hijacking. It's frustrating because Cooper seems very grounded. He's very comfortable, you know, delegating tasks. He's very comfortable work, committing the crime, smoking cigarettes and drinking, but he's not, I mean, he's still committed a capital crime, an act of terror. Um, and doing and doing a very dangerous jump. Um, so there's something wrong, right? Maybe a little bit. I don't know. No, no I a, mean, no, a, Cooper. A weird thing to me. It is strange, um, you know, because my, you know, Brendan Kerner did a Vortex episode. Uh, Brendan Kerner, for those who don't know, is the guy he wrote um, "The Skies Belong to Us." Uh, which is a book about uh, the Roger Holder um, and uh, uh, what's her name? Um, uh, Kathy Kirko hijacking, okay, where they went to Algiers. And, you know, he spent a lot of time researching hijackers. Um, and he got on the, in Don Darren's podcast and said a lot of, um, basically said that he feels like Cooper was insane. Um, you, know, you know, kind of, you know, we have, uh, you know, a lot of us, when we get, when we first get into the Cooper case, have an image of a, almost like a lovable rogue, a Han Solo type, type you know, individual, right? Yeah. But, man, when you really, you know, my study of the copycats, I, I've had to delve into that world a lot. And none of these people, none of them, like literally none of them have all their marbles. With respect to Marty McNally, my good friend, Marty will admit he was, su I mean, Marty was suffering from PTSD and other things. I mean, yeah. that is mental illness too. So like McCoy, Heady, LaPointe, Mac, these guys were suffering from PTSD from their military experience. Um, but so that is a mental illness. So I, Cooper had mental illness to some degree. He had to just, I, I don't, I can't fathom him not having a mental illness of some sort. 
But his behavior, though, suggests that he had control of it or I don't know. It's almost like like earlier today I was watching No Country for Old Men and um, I was reading up on the trivia on the IMDb and it mentioned how uh, like something like 200 psychologists uh, watched like 400 movies with with supposed psychopaths in them. And they said that Anton Chigurh, the character, the main character, the bad guy in that movie, is the best, you know, is the best movie representation of a psychopath that's ever been on film. Okay, and you know, if you if you watch, and if you look at Cooper, he is very much like maybe 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 an Anton Chigurh a little bit. He's he's very calm, and um, just very, you know, it's almost like he doesn't care. Or, I mean, again. You know, he when he gets the money, he his personality does change a little bit. I mean, for sure. Um, but yeah, so he's got mental illness. So one of the things that we did, my my dad and I, when we when we started our investigation, was we found someone who was definitely not Cooper, who's who we knew at the time, 1971, was not DB Cooper, and we tried to make connections between the Cooper case and him. Mm. You know, and this individual was. Uh, someone who had gone through jump training, um, had military experience, was a pilot, um, and knew some Boeing aircraft, and, and in particular knew uh, kind of the ins and outs of aviation. And um, didn't really look like the sketch, was a little too tall, uh, had the slim build, maybe too young, full head of hair. That individual was my dad. Um, but you can make, so you're like, you create a score, like he's about 60%, 65%. Yeah. And if somebody doesn't match that, you get rid of them. So that's, I, I like, uh, you know, Dave obviously was born yes. um, Post was like, a few years old at the time. Yeah. But yeah, uh, my dad, my dad was in Thailand and my dad was um, 24, 25 years old, but he would have been a, you know, other than the age was a decent suspect. So I like to eliminate people based on that. Can't you, you but it's also um, illustrative of, the fact that you can create false connections mm. to the case with pretty much any individual. So you have to be careful about that. Yeah, that's, that, that's a brilliant thing that you did by doing that with your father is you're basically creating a control to base, you know, your testing on. And I know you, I know y'all set up a, um, like a, I mean, you had like a 70 factor test or something like that. Is that right? I mean, I mean, how many points did y'all have? Uh, it was, it was, I think, 30. Okay, 30. I haven't looked at that. <laughs> yeah, that spreadsheet goes back along about 10 years now. Who, um, but yeah, about 30 points that we were looking at. Who, who scored the highest above the known suspects on that? I'm just curious. Uh, that, that was Sheridan Peterson, but that we didn't, I haven't looked at Bordal or Peterson or any new suspects, uh, but Sheridan Peterson scored best, and I can't remember who was up there. There's, in, I think. I think Gossett actually was second or third. Yeah. Yeah. No, Gossett. I mean, again, we go back to Gossett. I, mean, I, I do not believe he's Cooper at all. Um, I don't like his. Gossett has some things about his face that don't match what I think Cooper looked like. Um, but, but you know, I don't know. But now Peterson. I mean, look. Well, I'm sure Peterson. We'll, we'll get to Peterson. So, okay, Dave. That was a little fun. A little fun for you, Dave. All right. So your turn to. Defend. Let's see. We've got for you. What? I'm an idiot. I keep putting the names back in the bag. 
Okay, uh, that was Barb Dayton again. All right, you've got Joseph Lakich. All right. Oh, no. This, this was the one that, uh, like, I, I did a screen test for one of those shows on the History Channel, and the first, first thing they asked me about was Lakich. And, of course, I didn't take that seriously to begin with, so I was like, uh, he's just a yeah. made-up suspect. Lakich, so Lakich has the, he's the one that's 58 November, right? The, the, the grudge connection, Bill Rollins. Yeah, Lakich is the one whose daughter was killed in the hijacking by the FBI. By the FBI. So I, I think the claim is there's a tie connection. I'm not sure how good that tie connection is, but he'd at least have, like from the tie, we expect it to be in an industrial setting. So I think he meets that. Yeah, he's 50 years old in 71, exactly. So he's the right age, but... Yeah. And I yeah. haven't even seen a good photo of him, so I don't know how close he is to the sketch. He's not bad. I mean, he's not bad. So, yeah, Lakich is not one of your... Like you said, Lakich is a newer suspect, sort of-ish. Um, he's not in your book, I don't think. So, um, yeah, so the, the attack on Lakich, I don't, I don't like... What's that? I don't like any. I don't like any grudge suspect at all. I think that the grudge line was just a line. Yep. But if you're looking for a grudge suspect, having your daughter murdered by the FBI probably is up there. Yeah. I mean, I mean okay. So the issue with that is that yeah. His, so so Joe Lakich's daughter was just for those who don't know. So she was going through um, kind of a divorce uh, from her husband. And he uh, basically kidnapped her at gunpoint on a like a set on like a Cessna type plane, and ended up uh, holding her at gunpoint. And you know she was trying to talk him down, and everyone was trying to talk them down. And um, the FBI basically shot out their tires and ended up shooting a few rounds at the at the airplane. And he got scared or unnerved or something, and ended up shooting the pilot and uh shooting her and then shooting himself um and she but she left uh the daughter left a one-year-old child um who joe raised as his own okay so um, if you if you you know i'm you know on facebook i know, I know susan lakich is her name i mean it, it, her father was joe lakich okay that's who raised her from from one year old right i mean this guy would have no reason to abandon his one-year-old granddaughter you know who had just lost both their parents and go do something crazy like that you know um he was 50 years old but you know there's photos of him he retired a major from the army and there's a photo of him as a major and he has no jump wings he was in the infantry um he was solely in the infantry uh for his career so he's not wearing jump wings um so i, I don't think he had any parachute experience and the thing is how are you getting back at the fbi by hijacking a plane you know, and jumping out with somebody else's money. I mean, like you're, you know what I'm saying? Like you're, you, you, I mean, how are you punishing them? Like you're saying, come catch me. I, I mean, it's like, you know, if you had a grudge against, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, you'd go blow up a federal building or something if you had a grudge with the FBI, right? I mean, bad connection, I, that bad thing to say, but you know, seriously though, that's what you do. You don't, 
hijack a hijack a Northwest Orient plane when you live in and he's from Nashville um, or Clarksville uh, Clarksville which is roughly around there um, but now Lakeitch worked in uh, electronics so I think there was some the ray tubes you know when, when we were on when we were all on the ray tube type sus type stuff how do you become a suspect uh, is what Joe Holiday says Holiday says he became a a suspect through uh, Bill Wallens. Bill Wallens. Yeah. I like Bill. Uh, but that Bill Rollins is suspect. Uh, the most bizarre cover of a Cooper book you'll ever see. Um, I can only assume that he drew it himself. Because <laughs> it it's got like, you know what I'm saying? It's got like, the, it's got a rainbow and like the, the golden brick yeah. road. And it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's almost like a, I almost want to like frame it. it. It's like so insane. It's so cool. Yeah. Like it's, it's bizarre, but um, like, it's just has no, people say he has a motive, but he doesn't have a motive. And here's the thing too. If your daughter was killed during a hijacking, are you, you going to go, are you going to go terrorize other people's daughters? Right. I mean, I'm not, I know you, I'm just saying, like, I, I don't see I'm not saying I'm, do that. You know, that's not, not. You're the one who thinks Cooper's crazy. So well, that's I don't know, true. maybe. I mean, that's true. I do think, I do, I do think Cooper's crazy. So, okay. So uh, let's see. Uh, my turn to defend somebody. Uh, okay. I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> my, the stupid point, I knew. Okay, hardy har har, everybody. Okay, Walter Pekka. Uh, yes, his name was Pekka, people, not Rekka. He changed his name to Rekka from Pekka. So he was the OG Pekka head, was uh, Walter Rekka. So, okay, so, you know, Walter Rekka, despite the obvious flaws with Rekka, Rekka would. Rekka makes sense as far as like his personality. I mean, Rekka was a skydiving criminal. Okay. So um, he was a good, he was a, he was overqualified to be Cooper, honestly, as a skydiver. Um, but Rekka, uh, he was a criminal. He had, he had a, he had a conviction for burglary. Um, he was not a good person by all accounts. Uh, Rekka, uh, Look, if Rekka looked more, it, if we subtract his ridiculous confession, and if he looked a little more like Cooper, then he, I mean, it's kind of weird when you actually look at, I mean, Rekka has what you, kind of what you want in Cooper, really. A guy who's a little weird, um, a guy who is a skydiver, a guy who has military experience, a guy who was a legitimate criminal. Okay. Um, was not afraid of going to prison. Okay. Um, but, but I mean, his age, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure Rekka was 38, which is on the low end of Cooper, but it's manageable. Um, I, I have a problem going below 35, I would say. Um, and I do look, think about Cooper's age, just as a sidebar here. Um, I think that men from age like 35 or like 55 
are hard to tell. Um, I, I think there's, I, 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 especially if you're wearing sunglasses, I, I, I think that there is wiggle room there. Once you get past 35, it's kind of hard to tell age. Um, but yeah, Rekka, his age is fine. Uh, Rekka was 5'10", um, so he's, his height is fine. Um, so yeah, so okay. This is the ultimate, I'm, I am, this is the ultimate fastball down the middle, okay, that, that, you, that you have to knock out of the park here because it's Walter Rekka. Kill well, Rekka, you, please. You didn't, didn't you say no discussions about the flight path? Screw that. Let's talk about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How do you get the Clay Elm? You don't. They have a witness. Puts him in Clay Elm that night. How does he get, get there? Uh, he, uh, uh, how does he get there within like 45 minutes of landing? A wormhole. You know, in Vancouver. The wormhole. <laughs> it's Star <Yeah>. Trek. <laughs> you know, there's a Klingon wormhole, I guess. Um, no, Rekka is just stupid. Just continue bashing Rekka, please. Ah. <laughs> uh. I spent most of this week trying to come up with novel ways of defending Rekka because I assumed I would lose this. Oh. <laughs> um, so, like, uh, what what door was he going to jump out of? How did he know that he could jump out of this aircraft? Yeah. Yeah, Rekka, okay. So for those who don't know, the tie, I, I would advise people to go. It's online. I forget the, uh, I forget the podcast, but there is the, – I forget the title of the podcast, but you can hear, it's free. You can listen. I mean, I actually paid $10 to hear his stupid confession. Like I'm an idiot, but <laughs> it is free though now. So you can go listen to Rekka himself. He does have a good voice for Cooper. I'll say that. His voice sounds like you, what you'd want for Cooper. Kind of a Midwestern. He's, he's a little Northern though. He's a little Minnesota. He's, he's got a bit of a, oh, that, that Minnesota. You're from up there. I mean, you're not from that area precisely, but you live up there. So like, yeah. Does that have a name that, oh, don't you know, like that sort of, is there a name for that? No. Normal. Okay. Well, see, because I, I mean, as a Southerner, I have a drawl, right? What is that called? Yeah. Yankee, I guess. Just, yeah. I, I, you know what? You've got okay. me. It's not my area well, of expertise. Well, Rekka has yeah, that. If you listen to Rekka's confession, Rekka says that he was going to jump out the side door of the jet. And that Tina Mucklow said, hey, hey, you should jump out the back. It's easier. Like, so why did he even hijack a 727? Like, I mean, if, if he didn't know what it was, was the point of, of hijacking that plane? Um, of course, they have Clay Ellum. Now, what do you think um, about, uh, what's his name? Ozzy Mandius or whatever. Uh, the the witness. I mean, what do you think? What do you think about that? No, I I don't I don't know how you can put a date on it. Like he may have seen Rekka at some point over that. You know, it may have been in November in 1970. It may have been 1968 or whenever Rekka was actually there. But it doesn't it doesn't help. Like if. If it's if it's true, then he can't be Cooper because he's in Clay Elum. If it's not true, then they they lose their only witness. So it's yeah, you know, I I, I have no reason to doubt him. That's a good you know? yeah, 
Greco lived in the area. Yeah, I mean, I would say that my and we've actually got a guy on the drop zone who's actually there's a guy on the drop zone who is actually the the Clay Ellum newspaper basically is not online anywhere. Um, so there's a guy on the drop zone today who put in a request. He has some kind of library compact thing uh, where he gets microfilm of papers. He actually, I told him, I asked him, I said, will you get the November and December 71 Clay Ellum paper? And he's doing it. Because I'd like to see if there's a report of this sort of thing happening. My belief currently is that, yeah, Jeff Osadich is his name. Yeah. My current, I don't think he's lying. I mean, he came to, I mean, you know, I don't think he's a liar. I mean, he seems like a nice guy. Um, my belief is, is that he did see somebody. I don't think he saw Rekka. I think that a pilot ran out of gas or something, okay, and had to make an emergency landing near Clay Ellum on the night of the hijacking and walked into town and got a ride and made a phone call or whatever to somebody, right? And I think that Rekka overheard this guy at some VFW hall or somewhere at some point saying, man, I ran out of gas on the night of the hijacking and I was wearing a suit and I walked into town. I bet them folks thought I was D.B. Cooper. <laughs> you know, and, and Rekka, you know, co-opted this story into his own narrative, right? You know, because, I mean, why would Rekka even say Clay Ellum, right? Well, I mean, why would he even, I mean, what the hell is that, right? Why would you even think about that? And so I think it's because he, I mean, it's almost like Rekka didn't, it's almost like Rekka, if you listen to the way he talks, it's almost like, but no, this is a guy who's never done any research on Cooper at all, okay? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's almost like he thinks that no one knows where he jumped, right? Um, the way he tells the story. I mean, it's like, it's like he doesn't know that we know where Cooper roughly jumped. Um so he, I think he co-opted this guy's story. Um, but like you said, I mean, Rekka did live in the area, right, at some point in the late 60s, early 70s. Is that right? Yeah. And my, my assumption is always that there's a DUI involved. <laughs> I live in a rural area. There's a lot of DUIs. Uh, I, have, I have picked up people who have been in accidents who were clearly drunk and they were just wandering the, the interstate. Really? And I, I couldn't tell tell you what year that was but i remember the i remember the kid and he was completely drunk and i yeah that's you know, a good got way. Him off the interstate yeah like, yeah that's a good one like but yeah i've had some strange encounters before with people yeah and i couldn't tell you what year it was that's good that's a fair although the fact that they found yeah i guess i mean it is weird that i mean part of me wants to think it was Rekka who this guy interacted with right it yeah. just wasn't the night of the hijacking um but like but like you said the the thing about the thing about it is is you when your star witness essentially disproves your case so he adds nothing like it's almost like they didn't right. through that properly so there's reckon so okay so it's your turn oh. who we got okay uh the unabomber Okay, there you go, Joe. This for you, Joe, the Unabomber. So, how could Ted Kaczynski have been DB Cooper? Well, he needed money. Yeah, you know, he was living in Montana. Uh, I think 
Georger is the one who, who kind of brings up Ted Kaczynski every once in a while. He looks a little bit like the sketch. He's definitely not in his right mind. And if there's anyone who had the capability of engineering this with just their mind, Kaczynski is one of them. I mean, he's one of the, he was a brilliant mathematician and he had all the time in the world to think about stuff and he had a grudge against the airlines. So I, you know, not the greatest choice, but it's someone he was mechanically inclined to because he was making, you know, he was making bombs. So who knows? Maybe that was his time. Yeah. Um, okay. I'll, I'll attack Ted. Um, I think Kaczynski <laughs> has too much hair. Uh, I mean, 25 years later in, what, 96, he's arrested. He's got, like, a sh- shocking, badass amount of hair. So, I mean, we Cooper's hairline was receding. He was balding, according to Alice Hancock. Um, you know, I don't know if that means a bald spot or what, but he was balding. Um, uh, he is five foot eight. I think uh, Kaczynski's a little small. Um, now, I mean, Kaczynski did wear shoe lifts, I believe. He, he had some kind of things. Um, I don't like his chin. I, I think he's too, I think he's too square jawed. Um, if, if there's one thing about Cooper that the witnesses are very consistent on, it's olive skin and it's narrow face. I mean, even like, you know, Nancy House gives basically no description of Cooper, except to say he had a narrow face. That's all she remembers. Um, I believe, uh, gosh, it might be Michael Cooper um, has said that his only memory really of Cooper is that he looked roughly like, is that he looked like what the sketch is, a narrow face. Um, Ted does not have a narrow face. Ted has a very square face. It's like, it's kind of like Recco's face, right? His nose is, he has a bulbous nose. Uh, I, I mean, Cooper's nose is thin. It's not yeah. being the best, not the Bing sketch type of thin. But it's thin. Um, we know that his nose was thinner than McCoy's um, because we've got Florence Schaffner seeing a picture of McCoy and saying Cooper's nose was thinner than that. And I would say that Ted Kaczynski's nose is bigger than Richard McCoy's nose, uh, wider, flatter, um, kind of you know bulbous a little bit. Um, I don't, Josh Bernstein. I don't know what Kaczynski's voice sounded like. I mean, he says. Kaczynski had a high-pitched voice. I don't recall ever hearing audio of Ted Kaczynski talking. Um, and I'm sure there must be. Um, no, no, Cooper had a low voice. Uh, Cooper, had a, he spoke low, according to the, to the witnesses. So um, what you think is weird is that Dennis Lenz, in the interview, you know, the next day, Dennis Lenz gives an interview with uh, the Oregonian, and he says that Cooper had a pleasant voice. What about that? Pleasant voice. What a weird adjective to use for a man. That, you know, you know, why, why, how would he, I mean, and why would he even remember that? Which is, by the way, Dennis Lenz, I found this out writing my book. Uh, Dennis Lenz flew 50 missions on a B 17 in World War II. How about that? I know. So uh, I, I had, uh, I was like, whoa, he was, he, uh, Dennis Lenz was in the 15th Air Force. Uh, which was what my grandfather was in. Um, but he flew uh, 50 missions. I believe he was a tail gunner on a B-17, according to his, according to his obituary. Um, and he had been with the airline. He had been with Northwest Airlines since 1946. So as soon as he's back from the war, Dennis Lenz joins Northwest Airlines. It's weird because it's like you're thinking that like a ticket agent is just some guy 
guy who has a job, right, with the airline, right? You wouldn't think that he, a lifer, would be the ticket agent, right? That surprised me um, to learn that about Lenz, that he had been there for that long. I mean, I know Hal Williams had not been with Northwest very long, but Dennis Lenz did. It almost makes me wonder if, I, 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 wish, I, I wish he was alive. Um, it almost makes me wonder if Dennis Lenz, like, wasn't, that wasn't his regular gig was being the ticket agent. Like he just was, you know, there. I mean, he ran the booth sort of, he ran all the guys there. You know, he's like the manager of the ticket office. Um, because I believe Bill Mitchell said that it wasn't Dennis Lenz who, uh, I don't know how he would know that, but for some reason, I believe Bill Mitchell has said that it was not Dennis Lenz, Lindsay who uh, did his ticket. But yeah, um, Kaczynski, look, if Ted was older, if he, I mean, if Kaczynski had been 40 years old, um, I, you know, possible. Like you said, he had the brains to do it for sure. It's not, I mean, there are worse suspects. I would say, look, Ted Kaczynski is a better suspect than Walter Brecken. Um, but, but I mean, but, you know, you are, you know, <laughs> I am a better suspect than Walter Brecken. So, okay. So my turn to defend. Who we got? Uh, Who's this? Oh, well, that's not fair. Um, okay, Milton Vordal. Okay. Huh. Um, Vordal uh, is, I would say that he is the best suspect that has yet been devised by the Thai particles alone. Um, I don't know of a, I mean, his age is obviously a problem, but I would, I would say that Milton is, I don't believe, believe that Milton was in his right mind all, all the way. Uh, I don't think he was, I think he was, he was obviously a genius. I mean, Vordal was somebody, like, look, the, the profile of Cooper literally says, the FBI, subject manifests extreme inventiveness. Okay, so, and Milton Vordal is an inventor. It's kind of the same argument with Ted Kaczynski a little bit. Um, and what's interesting too is, is if you read Vordal's writings, the very first thing that uh, maybe you said it too. I mean, a bunch of people have said it. When I first started sending Vordal's writings around to people, and I, I know Tessa definitely did. Tessa definitely did, did. And I was like, holy shit, I had the same idea. She's like, this is like Unabomber stuff. Like, this is so like over, like, it's like if, if you try to read something that Ted Kaczynski wrote, it, you can, it, it, it's proper English. Like, you know, it, it's, it's written properly. It's not like it's bad. It's, it's not like you're reading William Faulkner or something, you know, where, where the grammar is just thrown out the window. It's grammatically correct, but it doesn't really make sense. You know, it's like so lofty. It's, it's like his brain was so above everybody else. I mean, and Vordal's writings are like that, a lot, like that a lot of ways. He was so smarter than everybody. But, you know, Vordal had a, a wicked side too. Um, you know, Vordal abandoned his wife and seven-year-old daughter um, for the babysitter and never spoke to them again, except for like one other time. I mean, that is a, people might do that today, but in 1947, when he did this, was just not done, really. I mean, that, I mean, that was very, well, that was done, but it wasn't, you know, I mean, it was a little, little different. Uh, Milton looks, I mean, look, Milton has the pouty lip in spades. Uh, Milton's lip looks identical to, every Cooper sketch, essentially. Um, his skin is a little dark. Uh, he knew the area very well. 
Um, he was, Vordal is somebody who lives close enough to the area to know the area, but, but is not so close to where people would recognize him. Um, and I think that's a thing that, you know, when, but whenever we deal with a suspect who lives close to Portland, we have to understand that is that only a maniac would hijack a plane where they're from, right? I mean, the chance of somebody spotting you in the airport is too high. Um, look at, look, even Martin McNally, you know, Mac drove all the way to St. Louis to hijack an airplane. And in the St. Louis airport, a buddy of his from the Navy recognized him and says, hey, Mac. He was like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm spotted in the airport about to hijack a plane in St. Louis. I'm from Detroit, right? What are the odds? So, I, you know, Coop, so he lives close enough to, you know, the area. He grew up in the area. Well, grew up, he's lived in Seattle. I mean, you know, the area for a while. Um, I think that, uh, obviously he was unemployed at the time. Uh, he had lost, he was unemployed his, uh, Milton Vordal's, uh, his factory that he worked at had been shut down in August, August 29th of 71. Um, titanium, uh, was, was it, uh, TMCA, his company, Timet had been shut down. Um, so, um, he knew the area pretty well. So uh, obviously I, I will, I will not say that Vordal is Cooper. Um, low probability. Again, every suspect that we can name literally is a low probability, to be honest. Um, but he's a high enough. I, I think, look, we spent months and months and months and months and months chasing every son of a bitch who we could find who, who might have had access to these particles. And uh, Vordal is the only one who hit all of our beats, really that we wanted. Um, so I think he is the best as an avenue of investigation. He's the best suspect that the tie can so far has produced your turn. So my, my criticism is the same. I, I wouldn't expect uh, a, a PhD level metallurgist to be the tie owner. I think it's further down the hierarchy. Uh, I said that with Peterson, but my, my problem with Vordal, and I, I guess this is my, this has been the hope is that if we could track down someone who matched to the tie, something would leap out at us and say, this is the guy, this, he was in the 82nd airborne world war two, or this is the guy he was, you know, he, he was living next door to Elsinore uh, Paris center and, and was known to hang out there. Just something, one little thing that would just pop out and say, you know, a direct connection to either the hijacking or skydiving or, um, some kind of money thing, just just anything to connect them to the case, and that, that's not there. Everything is circumstantial, and everything is based on the tie and how he looks. I mean, I can tell you've done a lot of work on those sketches because you keep like I, you have more confidence in the sketches than I do. Um, so I, I'm a little like, okay, yeah, he is to me. He is a good match, but it doesn't mean much to me. I want something. I want you know, I got a picture of him wearing a skinny tie with a pearl. Um, you know, a pearl tie clip. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, and I'll, I mean, I would say too that the holes in, I mean, the issues with Verdal really are that, you know, he has we no known parachute experience at all. I mean, and, and I, I, I almost cannot comprehend in my brain that DB Cooper did not have some parachute. Experience again. I, I use the I use this scenario all the time. Hypothetical. I have never been scuba diving. Okay, I don't 
know anything about scuba diving. I don't even like swimming. I would never, ever, 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 ever invent a heist that involved a scuba diving escape, right? When I, I mean, my brain would not even like think of that, right? I would never even like conceive of that. You you can say, well, the copycats like Mac had never been on a parachute, but again, Mac wasn't the first. Mac was a copycat. You know, um, know, it's one thing to be the Beatles and it's another thing to be the monkeys or whatever, you know I mean? You know, uh, so uh, Milton that we know um, never been a parachutist. Um, you know, I, I think that's a big one there. Um, no military experience. I tend to think that Cooper had military experience. I, I tend to think that Cooper was a pilot of some sort, and there's no indication that Milton was a pilot of any sort. So, all right, so your turn. Let's see who we got. He's running out of people. Uh, so you've got, oh, look at there, Bill Heineman. Good luck. even consider this guy a suspect but i, I know Flydeck does well okay so you have you have the swarthy appearance um witnesses said that they thought that cooper was you know mexican i think that was gregory who said that or was a certain percentage mexican yeah. uh you know hanneman he committed the same crime later and he also got away with it um cooper did ask to go to mexico hanneman was trying to go down further south where he felt comfortable. Um, I don't know exactly why he, he would jump into Portland when they'd have to have a stop in Reno. But, you know, as far as copycats go, there are some photos that, that of Hanneman that do kind of look like Cooper. Yeah. I think the, to, me, to me, the biggest thing is that he wasn't mentally well, but he was capable of, you know, thinking this, this problem through. He was a smart, smart-ish guy. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. I'll just close my keys there. Well, I mean, the problem with Heinemann. He had false teeth. He had what? He threw some corn in there. What'd you say? I said he had. He threw some corn in his teeth so you couldn't see the oh. missing teeth. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Heinemann was missing teeth, people. Okay, Heinemann was missing multiple teeth on his upper mouth, okay, according to the stewardesses of his hijacking. Um, you know, honestly, the, uh, um, you know, Flyjack started on Heinemann, not because of Heinemann, but it was because of his brother. I don't know if you remember that, you know, Heinemann, uh, Flyjack originally, uh, was interested in, in Heinemann's, I believe, younger brother, or maybe his older brother. He had a brother who actually, like, falls off the face of the earth in, like, 71, um, now, I believe Flyjack did find, and I found, um, just in five minutes, that, that the brother actually died in Honduras uh, in like 74. But the brother did fall off the face of the earth, and the brother was taller than Heinemann, too. His brother's draft card is like 5'11", or something like that. Um, so Heinemann, Heinemann's 5'8", okay? And it's funny, Heinemann has a Mississippi connection. Heinemann um, was a Mississippian. Um, he was, now, he was living in Pennsylvania, at the time of his of his hijacking, but Heineman grew up in Mississippi, um, which is interesting. He's on the coast uh, down south of, of me. Um, but Heineman's five eight. I would say that Heineman. Um, I don't like his nose. His nose is rather bulbous. Um, 
if he was taller, but I mean, every photo of Heineman, he's little. He's a small dude. He's 5'8". I mean, he does seem to – Heineman's definitely olive skinned. He had the balls to do it. But Heineman acted like a maniac, okay, like clearly mentally, mentally ill. Look, folks, Heineman – this I don't know about Heineman. Heineman told the crew during his hijacking – his hijacking lasted like 20 hours. He was with there a long time. He told the crew where his father was from. My dad's from Germany. My mom's from Honduras. He told him where his mom was from. He told him where his dad was from. He told the crew where his dad was buried. When they were going to New Orleans, when they were diverting to New Orleans for a mechanical problem, which wasn't a mechanical problem, it was, it was let's land in New Orleans and maybe the FBI can bail us out. Um, didn't happen, but they tried. But when, he was, when they were landing there, he said, oh, my dad's buried here, which is true. His dad was buried in New Orleans. Um, so he's like, oh, my dad's buried here. Heineman told them all kinds of things. Heineman um, hijacked a plane in his hometown. Okay, Heineman was from Allentown, Pennsylvania. He hijacked a flight out of the airport in Allentown, which is weird because he had been staying in a hotel, even though he lived in Allentown. He had been staying in a hotel in Allentown um, and was notable in the days ahead of time uh the cab driver remembered him and said oh yeah it was this guy i knew him you know i know who that guy is he's local you know um heineman told the crew he was going to go overthrow the government of honduras and um just uh heineman he, he, heineman's kind of his hijacking is really funny i mean i, I i'm excited to write the chapter on him in my copycat book I mean, he's um, he's scared to go to New Orleans. He says uh, there's a bunch of cage. He tells one of the stewardesses there's a bunch of Cajuns in New Orleans, and the Cajuns are shifty. He says I don't trust Cajuns. I don't want to go to New Orleans, but they're like, well, we have to land in New Orleans. He goes, oh, okay, well, my dad's buried here. Uh, he finds the transponders. They put trackers in his parachutes, and he searched his parachutes and actually found um, the trackers. And he told the he threw a monkey. Threw he threw him up into the cockpit. I was like, oh, I don't need these. Ha ha, you think you're going to track me, you know? Um, but uh, Heineman jumps out. Uh, Heineman demanded his money be in 500s and thousands, okay? Um, so that was weird. Um, it took them like five hours to find enough $500 bills um, to meet his $300,000 demand. Um, took a while. So yeah, Heineman is not... Look, folks, the only person on the planet Earth who thinks that Bill William Frederick Heineman was D.B. Cooper is esteemed researcher Flyjack uh, William Long. Uh, yeah, just I didn't dox him. His name is William Long. He, we know we know him. Okay, uh, he did smoke. Uh, yeah, Heineman asked for three hundred. He asked for three hundred and three thousand dollars, and I believe it was two thousand Benson and Hedges cigarettes which is weird because I, I told Flyjack, I'm like, so what did he hit his head on the way down? I, I, they jump from flight 305, knock his front teeth out, then right. suddenly switch from Raleigh cigarettes to Benson and Hedges five months later. I don't think so. Okay. So um, my turn to defend. Who am I going to defend? Oh, Lord have mercy. Okay. Dwayne Weber. Who? Okay. Um, Okay. Uh, look, okay. You know what? 
what's the kid's name? What's Joe's memories, man? Is it Collins? Collins, yeah. yeah. Uh, safe cracking PLF. Okay, yeah. so he doesn't participate. Okay, so one of our better Cooper researchers, in my opinion, doesn't play with every, doesn't play with anybody. Uh, he doesn't, Tim, Tim Collins, that's his name, Tim Collins. Tim Collins is a good researcher. I mean, he's a smart guy. You can tell. He, he knows what he's talking about. Um, Dwayne, okay, so defend Dwayne Weber. Uh, let's see, Dwayne is 47 years old in 1971, which um, the FBI, if you read the Cooper, if you read the investigative file, um, they put Cooper at 48 years old. Okay, they say Cooper is, in their mind, the FBI, they say he's approximately 48 years old is what they think Cooper was. Um, hi, uh, so Dwayne's 47 years old. Um, apart from Dwayne's ears, he's not a ter terrible likeness to the de descriptions of Cooper. Um, he is, his face is narrow. He does have a narrow face. He was certainly swarthy colored. Um, he had swarthy skin. Uh, his hair was marcelled, uh, which is Robert Gregory said his hair was marcelled. Um, so, uh, he has a fat, he has a pouty lip. Dwayne does have a pouty lip. Uh, Dwayne is, uh, Dwayne was six feet tall, 190 pounds. So a little thicker, a little bigger than Cooper maybe. Um, but six foot tall. Um, Dwayne was a legitimate criminal. I mean, there's no doubt about that. He was in and out of prisons his whole life. Uh, Dwayne fits the profile of what Himmelsbach wanted. Himmelsbach thought that Cooper was an ex-con, a guy who had been out of prison, who just was a failure in life and said, screw it, I'm going to do something big and grand. Um, so I think Dwayne, look, I would recommend, I think the best Vortex episode that Darren had ever done, I mean, and even though Dwayne's not Cooper, uh, the best Vortex episodes, in my opinion, are the ones with Tim Collins, um, because you get to hear hear Dwayne's voice in that. He plays audio of Dwayne talking. Uh, you hear Joe on her deathbed, which is really sad. Uh, there's audio, audio of Joe in, on her deathbed basically saying goodbye to Tim Collins. It'll make you cry. It really will. It's very sad. Um, those episodes of The Vortex are the best for sure. Um, so, and, and honestly, uh, uh, there's a lot more to Dwayne's story than than is really talked about. I mean, look, I'll just say this. Dwayne's not Cooper, but Tim Collins makes the best, makes a good case for it. I'll just say that. It's not terrible. Um, so attack Dwayne. Go ahead. Well, and I, and I agree with you. Those, those Vortex episodes are my favorite, and <clears throat> it actually kept me awake. He made such a compelling case yeah. that I was awake for about, uh, 48 hours after, because I listened to him twice, and those are like, it's like 14 hours of yeah. podcast. Um, and and I, I couldn't sleep until I went right back and looked into Dwayne, and unfortunately for, for Tim, is we have the FBI documents yeah. now. So we know exactly what Joe told the FBI in the 90s. <clears throat> and every single thing she told him was either debunked or wrong. Yeah. She said that she had the D-rings. Well, the parachutes didn't have D-rings. She said that, um, you know, uh, that he 
he was either in the area or something like that. And we know that he was in, uh, he was basically in the Midwest. He had recently changed. Uh, he'd gone from like one wife to a girlfriend. I think he was in uh, Kansas. Maybe. Uh, maybe. Yeah, something like that. The FBI found the girlfriend and asked her, and, and she didn't recall him being gone. And the other part about it is that he was already too heavy to be Cooper. She said that this guy's fat. He's, he's not, he doesn't have a slim build. He's yeah. too heavy. Which, I mean, and maybe he lost, you know, weight. lost weight temporarily, like a wrestler, cut, cut weight, whatever. I'm, you know, I'm willing to, I'm, I'm willing to like, because I, I talked to Joe for so many hours. I mean, I've talked to her for 20, 21, 22 hours over, I don't know, four or five phone calls. And I like Joe. Yeah. I mean, she was, you know, she, but nothing she said ever came to fruition. Uh, the other, like she was convinced that there was money in this van that um yeah. that she sold and the fbi the fbi followed up on it and there wasn't anything in the van so it, it just every everything was a, a flea circus it was a house of cards there's nothing it was never anything there uh from the start sadly yeah. enough like, like i said my favorite i i don't even like debunking Dwayne because i enjoy those episodes so much it's so believable yeah, it is. and i know there's no foundation to it that's frustrating yeah, if you, like I said, I mean, you, it's Darren says the same thing. I mean, if you, you know, Darren said that after hanging out with Tim, he was like, "Well, shit." I mean, maybe it was Dwayne. I mean, it, it, there's a lot there, a lot to unpack. They're great episodes. Tim Collins should be like, like you know, a, I mean, he should be a storyteller. Like he he is a very very good like voice for telling a story he's a good storyteller yeah if he did a, like a true crime pro, a podcast of just various like i would listen to that that would be it that would be the only <laughs> podcast i would ever listen to is five hour long tim collins podcast about missing people um or or unsolved crimes because it was so fantastic and and yeah it's i like, mean like i said it's it hurts me because he was he was so close to joe he was closer to Joe than anybody else yeah. was. And um, it, and he was convinced because he was, Dwayne was the only one that had an explanation for the Tina Bar money fine that made sense to him. And you see that in his YouTube yeah. series. I mean, yeah. And, and it's, I mean, the thing about Dwayne, the thing about Dwayne is that, I mean, she, and she got worse at it. The older she, the older Joe got. I mean, she kind of, her mental faculties certainly started to escape her. I mean, she was a very sharp woman. No doubt about that. Joe was very sharp. But, you know, like I say, Dwayne is the Forrest Gump of Cooper. Like, Joe had an explanation for everything. I mean, I guarantee you, if Joe was around when the T-sub came up, you know, she would have had a thing about how Dwayne was a, Dwayne swept the floors at Rim Crew, right? I mean, Literally, that's yeah. the that's the, I mean for those who don't for those who are like new Cooper people, that's literally what she would have said, right? I mean, it's that it, it was that you know on the nose of inserting Dwayne into everything, right? I mean, like I said, you know, CIA. Yeah, I mean, everything had had an explanation. Um, like I like like I say all the time, the only time I ever spoke to Joe Weber was when she called me up at my office when I. I was a district attorney and uh, secretary said, Hey, there's a woman, woman on the phone. I was like, okay, whatever. And I, I pick it up and I heard, 
Ryan. I was like, I was like, uh, yes. I, no, no, immediately it was. It was Joe Weber. And, you know, yeah, she asked me if Dwayne was involved in the assassination of uh, Medgar Evers, who was the NAACP's field secretary who was murdered in uh, 1963. Um, yeah, so I, I was like, no. Um, and, and, and here's why I think that I know for, I'm almost, you could put a gun to my head and I would guarantee you that some FBI agent, probably Ng, wasn't Carl, wasn't Larry for sure, but I, got, I think she annoyed Ng so bad that he finally said, screw it, come look at the 302s. Has to be, um, because she had, she had foreknowledge of things that we're now learning uh, through the vault releases, right? Um, like the Heisen store. Um, like there's no way, no way, no way, no way that she would have known about that unless she saw that 302. There's just no way. Or the fact that the guy who, the guy who assassinated Meg Grevers, the, the guy who, in my office prosecuted him. That's why she called me. It was my office did that, you know, back then. Um, Byron De La Beckwith was his name. Byron De La Beckwith is in the 302s, okay? What, I, I would never in a million years think the assassin, that's the assassin of Medgar Evers in Mississippi would be in the 302s, but sure enough, he is in the 302s, this guy. And so, uh, and, and the whole thing about, remember her thing about how, um, how she says that Dwayne was a, was a cellmate of James Earl Ray, right? Remember? She said that. And so, yeah, in the 302s, there is some stuff in there about there is a guy who there is some connection. It might be Cofelt. There's some, I think it is Cofelt. Yeah, there's some, there, there is a, there is a 302 about a, about, yeah, it's Cofelt. That's what it is. Cofelt said that he was a cellmate of at Leavenworth, was a cell, I think, not, I don't know where it was. Yeah. He was a cellmate of James Earl Ray, the assassin of Martin Luther King. Okay. And so, again, for Joe to come up with Heisen, for Joe to come up with Byron Ella Beckwith, the assassin of Medgar Evers, to, to come up with Dwayne being a cellmate of James Earl Ray when there is a cellmate of James Earl Ray in the 302s, right? She saw the 302s. She had to, period. And so, um, and that gave her a leg up to concoct lies, essentially. But we'll move on from Dwayne. But for, seriously, you are doing a grave disservice if you care at all about the Cooper case and do not go listen to Tim Collins's episodes on the Vortex. They are, you will be in, it will make you cry by the end of it. It's, 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 it's like art. It's so good. Um, so anyway, next. Okay, we're running out probably of suspects. All right, so let's see. I def okay, so it's your turn. You've got Ted Braden. <coughs> Freaking fastball down the middle, man. That's oh, man. <laughs> like the most qualified guy in all of Cooperdom. Yep. Like the one guy who would have known about the 727. He had the skill set. He had the swarthy complexion. Um, he had the military background. Had had uh, the, the exact background that we would, we would think. He was criminally minded. And, oh, if you want a connection with the tie – they had we've we now have pictures of these truckers. He was working for a trucking company at the time, and they wore ties and and they had to clip them to their uh, to their shirts. And he would have been exposed as a trucker to all kinds of things. Uh, and I believe he was working out of Pittsburgh, wasn't he, or working out of uh, Pennsylvania somewhere Ohio. where he would have encountered I mean, Ohio, like, like 
very like, eastern Ohio, which is you know, right next to Pittsburgh, yeah. Or, you know, he was struggling. RMI, maybe, who RMI. knows where he got it? It's like, what, what garbage can, you know, was he, was he hauling? Who, who knows? There's so much crap on the tie that had to be from multiple areas. Uh, with the CRT tubes, and, or the CRT, the, the red phosphors and all that. Uh, he, he knew, uh, you know, he was familiar with the Pacific Northwest. He traveled in that area. We don't know where he was on that day. Yeah. I mean, what's what's that to like? Yeah, I mean, I I just read phrase, this book. So. I call Ted Braden the god of circumstantial evidence, basically, right? I mean, it's yeah. I, I, I always use it with Ted. I always say, look, if you gave a hundred people all the facts of the Cooper case and you said invent DB Cooper, they'd probably invent Ted Braden. You know? Like, I, I really think that pretty much it. Um, I mean, he is somebody who would have known about the 727's capabilities. He obviously, I mean, Ted legitimately, you know, for all of Rekha's bullshit about working for the CIA and the KGB and Mossad and MI6, you know, Braden actually did it. You know, Braden actually was a CIA operative in, in later life, perhaps even. I mean, Somehow Braden keeps escaping, like, it's bizarre. You'll see Ted Braden be arrested and charged with some major felony and then just goes away, just vanishes into thin air. Never, I mean, I have, I mean I, I've, I've spent untold hours on, I mean, I'm a lawyer. I have access to, like, you know, U.S. court things, you know, because I, I pay a lot of money for this stuff. I can't find any thing on these arrests. You see him in newspapers.com and he's arrested for $200,000 of stealing whatever it is, you know. Um, and it's almost like that it's, it's almost a scenario where he gets arrested and like, it's almost like in Rambo when um, the colonel shows up and it's like, alright, we got a job for you to do, you know. <laughs> I mean, literally, like we'll, we'll let you out, but you got to go do this job. Because, you know, Ted Braden is spotted in like Nicaragua in Panama in the 80s. I mean, like, bona fide people saying, yeah, he was there doing stuff. Um, the only, I would say, to attack Ted is the height, I guess. Um, he's a smaller guy. Uh, Ted was 43 at the time, so he's perfect age, really. Um, and Ted probably looked older anyway, because Ted, you know, his military service certainly would have made him more weathered looking um, yeah. for being outdoors for years. Um, God, you know, Ted's, Ted's almost perfect. Um, almost too perfect, really, um, in some ways. Um, but my, my theory on Ted, here's my, here's my problem. I've told Drew this. I mean, I am, look, you know, I have supported Verdal. I have supported Braden publicly. I mean, I'm probably, you know, behind, behind Drew and Lisa. Uh, and, and, and I mean, I'm probably, to this day, even probably the third most prominent Ted booster there is. I still like Ted Braden a hell of a lot. The, I mean, my, my issues, if I had to attack Ted, would be his height is a problem. Five eights a little, five eights too short. Ted, the, Ted was a small little wiry guy. Cooper's a little bigger than that, but you know, shoe lifts, I don't know. Um, and I would say that there's, I have a hard time believing that Ted was not a suspect like immediately you know i mean he was a known problem you know 
in, 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 by the government at the time um, because his Ramparts article came out in 69. You know, he, he, you know and Ted, Ted exposed McAfee Sog to the world. Okay, he was so pissed off about McAfee Sog that he wrote, you know, he wrote a whole article on Ramparts, which was a left-wing magazine. And I mean, there were congressional hearings launched because of Ted Braden's, you know, uh, 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 article. Um, Congress was like, like what, what is this program? We're doing what in Cambodia, you say? Laos? We shouldn't be doing this. We don't want to start World War III. Um, so it's almost like surely Ted Braden was a very early suspect, and his photos would have been shown to the stewardesses at least. However, I've asked Larry Carr about Ted Braden, and he has no memory. He says, no, I have never heard the name Ted Braden until, I, until recently. He said, I never saw the name Braden in the files. I never, you know, never dealt with it. But we do have evidence, though. Um, if you recall, um, there is evidence. There is a guy who's alive. He's getting older, but he remembers being asked about Ted Braden at a North Carolina drop zone. Him and a, he was a former Mac V. Sog guy. Uh, and him and a bunch of other guys were sport jumping after their service had ended in North Carolina. And he remembers, in, he says it was, it was early 72, two FBI guys showing up at the drop zone saying, hey, what do you know about Ted Braden? And they said, well, they said, and, and this guy said, well, Braden was after my time. Uh, and this guy had been, this guy had been Sog, McAfee Sog in 68, 69. Braden was there in 65, 66. He was like, he's like, but we knew who Ted Braden was. And he told the FBI, well, I do know some people who do think Ted Braden is Cooper. He told them that in 72. So, I mean, already in 72, McAfee Sog guys, you know, were, thinking it was Ted, and they still do. Um, I mean, if the military veterans had to vote on D.B. Cooper, it'd be Ted Braden. So yeah, God, man, I mean, I, a lot of things fit on Ted Braden, um, a whole lot. But I, if, if, look, I would, it would almost be impossible to convince me that he wasn't D.B. Cooper if Ted Braden had been 5'11". If he's a little bit taller, I'd be like, I, this is done, clearly. You know, I mean, maybe anyway. All right. So uh, my turn. We're getting near the end here, I think. All right. My turn. I have to defend. Wait. Well, I keep putting the stupid things back in there. Okay. I have to defend. Who's this? William J. Smith. Okay. Okay. Well, that's really more your avenue there um, as a Gunther person. Yeah. Okay. Um, but actually, I think you'll have some good takes on, I think you'll have a good take on William J. Smith because you're a Gunther guy. Um, to defend William J. Smith, uh, I think he had a grudge against the, against, I mean, I guess he had a grudge against the airlines. Um, at the time, um, there was a, I think it was a, I think there was a lot of strikes going on with longshoremen and with railroad guys at the time. Um, he had, had, he had he had aviation experience. Uh, he was in Navy aviation. Uh, he was a a photographer, I believe, which means he was good at like looking around at things. He was good at observing from altitude. I mean, he's somebody who could have dead reckoned where he was pretty well. Um, he had that kind of training. Uh, he looks a lot like the sketch. I mean, if you look at 
I think his nose is a little big, but um, he looks like, obviously, I mean, I think our, if, I think Vordal and William J. Smith are our two best sketch, sketch comps. Although I would say that um, Don Burnworth looks so much like Bing, it's painful. Um, Don Burnworth is good for Bing, right? Um, but uh, William J. Smith, um, I, I do know that he did have some mental illness. I mean, I don't want to step on Dave's toes on that, um, but he had some problems mentally. Uh, um, I, he's, the, uh, he's the right age. Uh, uh, William J. Smith was um, 43 at the time. He had certainly had olive skin. He was Hungarian. I believe he, I think he was Hungarian. I think it's Hungarian. I think he was, I forget his real name. It was like William, something crazy. It was like, you know, some Eastern European name. Uh, he changed his name to Smith. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's my, that's William J. Smith. So like I said, you're, you are the Gunther guy and this is a Gunther topic. So go ahead. No. Okay. What color was the parachute? White. Well, according to Gunther. Oh, uh, according to Gunther, it was what, green and white or something? Orange and white, maybe? Green and white? Well, it was yellow and red. Oh, red, okay. But, so the problem, the problem is the Gunther connection, right? So, I mean, William, William Day Smith, yeah, we can, we can say that we, we can make a connection, lots of connections, actually, uh, between Gunther and William Day Smith, but can we make any connections between Gunther and D.B. Cooper? No. No, not at all. I mean, there's too much. No. I don't, I, I, I mean, as much as Gunther is enjoyable, it's, I mean, there's too much wrong there. I mean, I, the, you know, again, I don't know where, I mean, like Gunther writes that, I mean, the narrative is so screwed up with Gunther that it's, 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 it's almost, you almost can't, I, I mean, you almost put it down immediately if you're a Cooper sleuth. You're like, this is, this isn't right. You know, I mean, I believe Gunther has William, I believe Gunther has Captain Scott going back and saying, show me this bomb. We know that didn't happen. Um, the parachute's the wrong color. Um, like I said, I, I think you and I are looking into whether Gunther may have been the timing of Gunther's book with uh, some of the Cofelt stuff. Like, I, I, there, 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 there is some sort of crossover there between Cofelt yeah, articles. One, there's one direct link to, to, between Cofelt, the Cofelt Las Vegas yeah. story, yeah. And, and Gunther, which is a little disconcerting. For me, what was it? Do you, do you remember? I I wrote it down. I haven't had. I mean, I I've got a toddler, so yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't I have a lot too. of free time to go into this stuff. Well, no, I mean, I, I remember that. I, I I may have remembered the same thing because I remember reading when I read that Las Vegas article. I was like, it may have been the parachute. Yeah, maybe, maybe the color of the parachute. There's something that's so on the nose that you're like, oh, did they? Did he, did, did Gunther, or did, or did the hoaxer, I, I mean, I don't know, if, I, I don't think Gunther, I think Gunther was hoaxed. I, I, I don't, I mean, what's your belief on that? No, I, I have spoken to people who, who knew Gunther. Um, and if, if, if Joe was accurate in that Joe said that she knew Max, then I've, I've spoken to two people who say they, they knew Max. But the other one is a journalist that I interviewed with, and uh, he's he said that Max was completely convinced. He was he was actually concerned about, about the book, not because he made it up, but because it ruined. His, I mean, it, it was ruining his reputation. 
um, that he got, that people were being very unfair with it. He was just writing down a story that he was told. And uh, he was attacked for it and vilified for it. And he was, however, still convinced that it was Cooper that he was talking to in, in 72. And he was convinced that, that it was an accurate story. So I, I would take Gunther at his word. He was a, um, you know, a, a relatively you know, reputable journalist. So he'd have to have been hoaxed. Um, but the question is, where did the hoaxer get their information yeah. from? Because there was a lot of interesting stuff there, too. Yeah, and it's just like, like I, and, and why did the hoaxer go to the levels that they went to? Like, you know, when, I mean, when I pulled that Clara letter out of Himmelsbach stuff, I'm like, what the hell? I mean, like, this person sent a letter to Himmelsbach, too? Holy crap. Like, I thought that was a myth. You know, I thought that was like, but I mean, I, I mean, why would they do that? Like who, who it's, I mean, I, I mean, we've got like, honestly, we've got three mysteries that I'd like to see. We've got the Tina Bar mystery. We've got Gunther and we've got Cooper himself. I mean, I, I think these are three things that are really, I mean, I would love to know who did this to Gunther. I mean, it, cause it, it's, and, and why would this person go to the links to convey this story to Himmelsbach? It's just like, what the hell is this? So, but yeah, there's no. Yeah. And the, the person Gunther talked to, they knew, they knew a lot of details about um, skydiving that didn't make the book, but were accurate to the time. They knew about the Elsinore um, investigation. And the thing was, it didn't look like they had read the FBI, the, uh, like the Las Vegas, or pardon me, the Los Angeles files on, um, you know, the, the actual, interviews with Cameron so because it's a little, little different like the, the what's what Gunther wrote down and what what is in the FBI files is just different enough to come from different witnesses um and obviously the connect I mean how did Gunther get a, a chemical salesman you know a, a person who was in that industry that was connected directly with the tie particles uh, that's that's why we even talk about Gunther now is because of those actual connections to things that we didn't know about five years ago so yeah. it's yeah it is it is actually a big mystery even though like the color of the parachute and and captain scott coming back and that's and that, that's in the clear letter too that are the the gunther notes that we have now that um the person was claiming those things happened which we know didn't so there's yeah it's really frustrating like it's it's the the worst rabbit hole to be in other than the cooper case itself yeah because there's, I mean, yeah, there's, there are things that make you question it, you know, that question like, you know, it, it's weird. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's just a strange, strange thing. So, all right. So let's see. We may have, we've, oh, we're empty. Just, uh, we're, we're empty. So cool. No, so, um, no Jack Scott Farmer, no Fred Catalano, no, no Langseth. No, no Langseth, no Catalano. Although, um, wait, I, I, I have to have one more. Where'd he go? That's not right. I, I did have one more. I, I printed off one, one more, so we'll do one more. Uh, and it's your turn to, to, to say what. Yeah, Kenny was in here too. I had Kenny Christensen. Oh, um, okay. I mean, so, okay, so, I don't know where he is, but so, there you go. You, you do Kenny Christensen. So, Kenny is a better suspect than people give him credit for. 
he had he was a paratrooper. Um, he collected coins, but he had a very expensive hobby, um, and he didn't have the income for it. He, if there's anyone that would understand the 727, it would be a, a purser like like he was, um, and he would have picked up other things too, being a purser. So he's not a terrible suspect if he wore um, a toupee of some kind to cover up his baldness. No, I think it's a possibility. People okay. don't take it seriously because they don't take the author of the book um, seriously. And I, I shall not speak his name for fear of summoning. But <laughs> for summoning him, um, he apparition. Ken Christensen deserves better than uh, that individual. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. So the problem with Kenny, the biggest problem with Kenny to me is he ran the very real risk of hijacking an aircraft where the stewardesses knew who he was. I mean, possibly. Now, I know that they ran different routes. I know he did, you know, he, he did, a, you know, he flew in the Orient and these people, you know, were, but, but Kenny could not have known the crew. I don't think so. I don't think you could have known the crew compliment that day, right? I mean, for example, Tina wasn't even supposed to be on that trip, I don't think. Um, it's my understanding is that Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I feel like maybe that Tina's roommate or something was like, I'm mean, look into that, but I feel like that Tina's, that Tina wasn't supposed to be on that flight for some reason. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but Kenny, um, Kenny's small, Kenny's five, nine, a little small, uh, bald, um, apparently did not like parachuting. Uh, we have letters, we have letters. He was in the airport. He was a paratrooper. In World War II, but we've got letters where he's like writing home saying how terrified he is of jumping out of planes and how he regrets being a paratrooper, um, <laughs> which is funny. It's like, oh, I made a bad decision. Uh, but I, you know, why would you, um, would he have trouble lowering the aft stairs, right? He apparently needed, he apparently didn't trust his own ability to lower the stairs without Tina explaining it to him. I would, you know, a, a 727 person. Hmm? There's, there's no, like, you could know, just messing with her. Like, oh, how does this work? I don't understand this. Yeah, maybe playing dumb. dumb I, I guess. don't work for this airline. I don't, I don't know what to do. Yeah, maybe playing dumb for sure. That maybe, doesn't seem. You know, yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, he is not as bad. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's not as terrible as some other suspects, but. Here's. Uh, Here's another thing, and this I got. I did this. I found this when I was going through the archives of Northwest. They changed their hijacking policy. So in in the uh, the manual that they that they gave flight attendants, they had changed the hijacking policy, which is something that Kenny Christensen would have known. And I, I forget exactly the the exact details about it, but um, it he would have known exactly what their policies and procedures were that they had just changed and interestingly enough the pilots did not follow that policy during the hijacking um so that's i mean that's what was i, I think in fact it was in it was in flux enough uh that that would be the time to to commit that crime i'm what was, I'm the, what was the policy you're, you're talking about no the so if you are a flight attendant and someone says that they're hijacking an aircraft, the, the manual tells you what to do. 
and um, it was it was confidential. I wasn't allowed to take a photo of it, even though it's from 50 years ago. But I, I took notes on it, and the the flight attendants had specific duties to do, um, and the pilots and the, the the flight crew had specific duties to do during a hijacking, and they basically didn't follow it. Uh, it was something I was going to write about, but again, I I just had a kid, and he's a toddler, he's a mess, and I haven't slept in about a year and a half now. Uh, I, so let's see. So, um, what do you think? Because I, I don't I don't have the card. I I had a card for this guy. I don't know where he is. What do you think of uh of Lee Seller? Whoa. I have no clue who that is. Lee Seller Lee was the Seller. one, uh, the missing person from Seattle, who dropped his kids off oh, and never came back. He was the uh, he was yeah. the pilot. He was the bomber pilot in World War II, Canadian. Yep, yep. Okay, I, I remember someone contacting me about this. Me. <laughs> was it you? Well, I posted I posted about him on the Facebook group. Okay, well I'll talk about yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, someone someone messaged me. I don't know if it was you or if it was Nikki or, or I get a lot of messages from you people. So God yeah. bless you all. I don't have time to read them. Um, but yeah, and I've, I've looked into it a little bit. I, I'm like Bruce. You know, Bruce used to get a new suspect every week for years and years and years. And I was the same way. I got new suspects every week for years and years and years. And I, I just don't read. Like it, it, you have to really pound my head to get me to register a new suspect, but I, I do recall it. Yeah, so, so, yeah, I like, I mean, I like Lee Seller. Um, you know, Lee is, uh, Lee was a bomber pilot in World War II, uh, flew a bunch of missions in Europe, came back, had several failed marriages, uh, was, I believe, maybe a single dad. His wife had died. He had two teenage kids. Um, that he one day just, and I think in 1970, maybe 19, maybe maybe early 70, I'm not sure what year it was, uh, dropped his kids off at his parents' house in Seattle and was never seen again. Um, just gone, and a uh, very nerdy kind of guy. He was 5'11", it's the right size. He was he had dark skin, and had an olive complexion. Um, you know. Larry Carr was intrigued by him because Larry, you know, Larry likes the idea of a dead Cooper. And, you know, this is a possibly dead Cooper, um, you know, who's never seen again and um, who was, you know, and, and, and he lived in Vancouver too. I mean, um, he had lived in Vancouver in the early sixties, Vancouver, Washington. So he said he knew Vancouver, Washington. He knew Seattle because he was living there at the time. Um, he had gotten into, he has, uh, he had been committing bank fraud, at the time, in, in 70, 71, he was uh, basically creating fake bank accounts and stealing money. Um, uh, the family of this guy remembers the FBI coming around in 1972 to their house in Washington, up near Seattle. Um, not, maybe not, now they're not sure if they were asking about the hijacking, because they were kids, they don't remember, they were, kids, they were teenagers at the time. Uh, one of his daughters, um, is a, I won't say where she lives, but one of his daughters, I mean, one of his sons, his son is, I believe, a mayor of a Canadian town currently. Uh, his daughter is a professor at a major college <coughs> in Canada. So his kids are well adjusted, but they were teenagers at the time, but they remember the FBI coming around um, 
in 72-ish or so. Um, but they thought it was in connection with his bank fraud stuff, um, which um, Larry, uh, I believe um, one of the relatives reached out to Larry Carr and said, you know, would y'all have been investigating bank fraud? They said, possibly, you know, it depends on <clears throat> various things. Um, but no, I, I like Lee. Um, he wore glasses. That's the, the only issue is, well, we have photographs of him with glasses and him and him without glasses. So he did have some vision problems, um, but how bad those vision problems were. But, you know, Lee's, Lee's a good suspect. So um, the couple ones, I don't know where they are, but um, my dark horse, my dark horse suspect is Melvin Wilson. Um, <clears throat> I like, I, I think there is, I mean, the fact that Melvin Wilson had just been indicted for counterfeiting two hundred thousand dollars three months earlier is strangely on the nose, right? Um, and was on the run from the cops. Um, desperate individual. Uh, Melvin Wilson's forty-three years old. Um, looks like the sketch. Olive skin. Um, his eyes. Uh, Vicky, I talked to Vicky, his daughter. Melvin Wilson's listed as having blue. He's listed as having blue eyes. But if you, but if you, but if you, um, but Vicky was only seven when her dad disappeared. She asked um, her mom, "What did my dad's eyes look like? I don't really remember them." And the mom said, "Your dad's eyes were so blue that they looked black. So he had very, very black blue eyes." Um, Melvin shows up two months later after the hijacking in Canada, claiming to be a, a furloughed airline pilot, uh, which is interesting. Uh, so I, Melvin's my dark horse. Like I said, he has no ties to aviation, which is, is, is a problem, major problem. Um, but what do you think about Mel? So originally, I, I thought we had eliminated Mel, you know, 10 years ago, eight years, whenever it was, 20, 2016 or whenever. Uh, we we had all this these are discussions that were had on forums a long time ago. That Mel went probably to Las Vegas. He got he got tapped into the organized crime that he had connections to and began forging money again. So to see him not do that and yeah. suddenly appear in in that area, uh and alive, by the way. Because we we thought that he would have been just murdered in Las Vegas or something and by the mob or whatever, trying to keep him quiet. We assumed that he would get back into that kind of crime life because uh, he had he had nothing yeah. when he left, other than the clothes on his back and maybe a couple of fake twenties. So to have him come back like this is really challenging because you're, you're looking you're looking for the magic like the silver bullets and all the silver bullets went away. So I I really like Mel Wilson. I wish there was some other way to connect him to the case. But um, I, I think that the fact that the fact is very exciting that she that um, Vicky was able to find you know siblings with genetic testing. That's something that I, I really pushed um, for Dick Lepsy. Not not that I knew the family at all, but I think Dick Lepsy, who went missing, and and there's another book on him connecting him very thinly to yeah. the Cooper case. That the people have got to get their DNA into these databases and find relatives because like my family had a very unusual event happen 
when we did our DNA testing and we found that um, my grandfather's sister, who I was told died in infancy, in fact lived out her life in Portugal and had children. We had, we had close relatives in Portugal uh, from my grandfather's supposedly deceased sister. What? So it, it's, yeah, yeah, I, I've got a picture of her over, uh, over in the other room. It's insane. But the genetic testing shows that that's the re relation that we have with this person. So, like, oh, wow, it, yeah, okay. So it's it's yeah, that, that's just insane. So and I and the Mel Wilson story is 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 that insane too. I always thought he he was such a smart guy, like sly. Yeah, you know, for a criminal, he's very sly. Con man. And, yeah, and, and that's that. That fits to me in my mind. That really fits Cooper. So I'm with you. I I, I am. I was. I'm. You know. I'm kind of like the Scrooge of suspects. I like to poke holes in things. But um, there are suspects that survive my scrutiny. And Mel, after so many years, yeah, he survived it. So he's back in the mix. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same way. I mean, Melvin. Like I said, I'm the same way. I like killing suspects. You know. But Mel's. I mean, really, what you've got. The only. The only problem let me literally I, I the 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 only issue you can have with melvin wilson is aviation experience right now but again we don't know that about cooper right we we don't that's a supposition it's a good assumption but it's not you know again he's a smart guy maybe to me melvin wilson is a good guy who saw paul Sini's hijacking and was like oh i might I can do that or something and i i feel like Melvin Wilson is a Paul Sini copycat hijacker. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And to have the idea, right? Because I don't, I don't think it would be Melvin's idea, but I think that he, and here's a guy who, you know, I don't know, man, when, when the FBI is after you for counterfeiting money or the State Department, whoever they are, the, the, the uh, Secret Service is after you, you, you're probably pretty desperate, you know, and, and maybe thinking you're on your wits end and you're you're about to be dead anyway maybe or whatever i don't know you know no melvin wilson's a great suspect and I, he he gets forgotten for what well, i don't know why i mean he shouldn't he deserves to be he's i mean he's an a-tier suspect honestly i mean he's got a couple things um catalano is see that's somebody that's about catalano we don't, we don't know enough about catalano it's the problem i mean i have foia for his suspect file um so, something about him irks the fbi you know, Ralph Hope, who is still alive, I've, I've tried to, con I'm trying to contact Ralph Hope. Uh, Ralph Hope is who went all, Ralph Hope is who, is who went through all 1,000 suspects and pulled out Jason Langseth and pulled out Fred Catalano as people he wanted to, to know more about. So clearly there's something in his subject file, which we've not read, right? Um, yeah. About him. I don't know what it is, but something made Ralph Hope a, you know, Smart, smart agent. Um, consider him special. I, like I said, but we don't know what it is, Sonia. Um, like I said, we have very limited files on him. We know that he was a purser who had trained as a he had trained as a pilot. He actually had pilot training to be, to be a commercial airline pilot. So he had gone through the training. He knew he I mean he knew how to fly a commercial airliner. Um, but, but he was a purser, so he probably felt insulted at his position, um, and he's. Robert Gregory picked his photo out as saying this looks like Cooper. Um, he said he can, right, He said that he could not eliminate Fred Catalano 
Um, so, um, gosh, the other one, I think that's pretty much it. So, I mean, we haven't mentioned rack straw, which I don't care to mention rack straw. I mean, look, the thing about rack straw is if rack straw was 40 years old at the time, yeah, sure. I mean, because rack straw is kind of like Braden in some ways where he's got everything you want. I mean, this is a guy who's not afraid to commit major crimes, major, major crimes. Um, And he had the, you know, he had the, the knowledge, I would think, and the ability and, he just, it's hard to get over being 27 years old and looking like he looked when we have the photograph of him a month before the hijacking. That that can't be Cooper. Um, he's just too young and too handsome uh, of a guy. I don't care if he's wearing makeup or not. I mean, nobody's, the whole makeup argument's just bogus. I mean, look, every hijacker who wore makeup, they, they, were, they were called out for wearing makeup. You know, it was obvious. You know, McCoy was obviously wearing makeup. Um, so... I mean, I, I mean, what? I mean, what's your take on Rackstraw? I guess, right? So I was, I was deferred to the original investigation done by the FBI. So with Rackstraw, we know that they contacted people or a person who was living with Rackstraw, probably the live-in girlfriend at the time, yeah. and he wasn't missing. He wasn't gone a night during uh, the six-month period where the hijacking took place, and he was working at Radio Shack. He was very bored. At, at, at that period in time in his life, there just wasn't much going on. And I like, he just trust that the girlfriend would know if this guy came in one night, bloodied and limping and, and tired and hungry, like Cooper would have been on Thanksgiving of all times. Right. Yeah. And I mean, he, um, like I said, I mean, he, he's got a lot going for also nothing too. You know, we're really, really, I mean, I am, you you read the FBI files, they are damn near positive that they've got Cooper's palm print. I mean, they're real solid on that. I mean, they, they, they went overboard trying to get palm prints from suspects because they felt very confident. Cooper likely wiped, Cooper, I don't think he wiped, I think Cooper probably did something to his finger prints to disguise them i mean he knew that enough that that, that the fingerprinting was what they did fingerprinting was the dna of the time essentially right yeah. and so a knowledgeable criminal is going to do that some people i mean most like mac wore gloves uh, mccoy wore gloves but still left some prints uh, heineman wore white gloves i mean you know they wore gloves because they knew that fingerprinting was how they catch you um so i think cooper did disguise his fingerprints but he didn't disguise his palm print um, because in that era, no one took palm prints. Like I, I mean, in my book, I write about how it wasn't until 2003 or so that the, that, that the NYPD and the LAPD started palm printing, started palm printing people during arrests. The military, I taught, asked a few men, I believe, the military still does not palm print people, okay? So, I mean, no one's palm printing unless you ask for it. And they got Rackstraw's palm prints, and his palm print didn't match. So, I mean, that's another thing, too. Um, so, um, yeah. So, anyway, um, I like a suspect. Drew's asking me about the Tomb Suba guy. Um, I, that, that's a teaser for my book, I guess. I, I know who he is. Um, I, figured out, I figured out his name. I know who he is. Um, he is a 
really good suspect. Um, he freaked the FBI out because when they found him in Mississippi in 1984, they finally found this guy. When they approached him, they said, uh, the, these are Mississippi agents writing a teletype to Seattle. And they're saying, when we approached him and said we're with the FBI, the first thing he said was, oh, is this about the hijacking? Before they even like brought it up. And so that really unnerved them. They're like, oh, what the hell? So, and, and in fact, he was so good, even though his fingerprints didn't match, the FBI, is, there's an FBI document where they go, well, we're not convinced these are Cooper's prints anyway. You know, so like they don't eliminate him. So I don't know why they eliminated this guy. I have FOIA'd for his file. We'll see. Um, but, you know, this is a guy who was, uh, he had been a smoke jumper in the 60s. He was living in Seattle at the time. Okay. He was from Delaware originally. He was a grifter. He kind of, or a drifter. He moved around town. He had no home really. Uh, apparently, he looked a hell of a lot. Apparently, looked a lot like a sketch. Uh, the FBI, Mississippi, their their message back to Seattle is this guy looks like the sketch to us. He he really does. He was forty three at the time, I think. Uh, had been a smoke jumper, you know. Uh, had been a pilot, I believe. Uh, he wore clip on. He wore he wore a black clip on tie at his job in 71 in Seattle, they found out, um, which is, you know, uh, he, uh, I think what else? Uh, I, there's a bunch of other things too, but the FBI liked him a lot. So anyway, okay. Um, do you, one last question, um, you know, of, of the suspects we have named, if you had to, Bet ten dollars on a suspect. Who would who would your favorite suspect be? Well, and I and I uh, I hate to feed your ego, but I would I would go with Verdal only because and I and I get a lot of um, there's if, if you read the reviews on Amazon of my book, people complain that I'm too focused on the tie, but that's the only physical evidence we have. So the tie has an owner. The tie has a history, and because of the unique circumstance, like the unique particles on the tie, we should be able to figure out who owned it, or at least what group of people yeah. owned it. So that's, that is absolutely worthy of, of pursuing, because even if Cooper gets it at a garage sale, Cooper had to be at that garage sale in that town, buying from one of those guys. Yeah. Uh, and that would tell us like, oh, okay, Cooper's from, you know, Allentown or Pittsburgh or, or um, you know, somewhere in Ohio or something. So I like Verdal. Um, you know, I, I'm really, if you look at it and say there's 100 million people, 100 million men who spoke English who could have been Cooper, of that 100 million, maybe, you know, one out of a 1,000, you can create little links to uh, to the Cooper case. You know, you really have to get, you have to get a few factors of 10 down to get a good suspect. And uh, even then, you're, you're left with 10, I think there's about 10,000 maybe 100,000 good suspects out there, which is why we keep getting a new suspect every week for the last, I don't know, um, yeah. 50 years. So uh, it's, it's really tough. It's, in all likelihood, we have false positives with Verdal and Peterson, but I, I really believe that's where most of the effort should go. Because if you get away from there, there just isn't evidence. You know, and that's the problem with the Cooper case is 
the lack of physical evidence means that it's a not it's not falsifiable, yeah. right? We can't. It's not something we can test that we can say this will link this. This will prove it. We don't have that, um, and the tie is the only thing that even comes close. So that's that's my prejudice is towards that. And Vordal is the only one that Vordal and I guess Peterson, but Vordal more uh, is the only one that even comes close. Yeah, I mean, I would say that if it's not Vordal, I, I think that. <clears throat> I mean, here's here's the thing about you know the the titanium antimony is that I mean the best some of the best researchers out there I know Dave has done it and I know Flyjack certainly has tried his best to kill the T sub I mean he's tried, I mean my God he's tried but he can't I mean nobody can find any you anybody in the world making titanium antimony alloys other than Milton Vordal. They just can't. So if it's not Milton, it's somebody in his orbit, I think, you know, who was a lab tech with him or, and I think more likely it would be somebody at Timet in Nevada than Pittsburgh. You know, I think that's West Coast. It's unemployment, right? I mean, so I, I, I would love to do more investigating on Timet um, because if it's not, because if it's not Vordal, it's somebody like we we have no evidence that Vordal did anything with T sub at Timeout, but again, this is a guy who was Mr. T sub, so stands to reason maybe he was still dicking around with it in Timeout, you know, at Timeout in seventy one uh, or in seventy. So um, I, I think if it's not him, it could be somebody who worked tangentially with him um, because of the connection of it. But but again. I mean, why not him? I mean, I mean, the only, I mean, the, his age is a problem. But again, I mean, age is age is hard to tell on people. I mean, you know, so no, he looks, I, I like he I looks personally. I like Verdon. I like Braden a lot too. Those are my two guys. I'd say. So, anyway, okay. Well, um, we have gone over. So, Marty, thank you for joining me, and uh, we can uh, do something. Hopefully, never do this again. <laughs> Go to these people, you know. It's- my apologies. I don't know. I don't know why it was so hard to, to clock into this thing. I said, no, no. That was what two hours ago. So yeah, no problem. It was good. I mean, it's. it's I um, forgot by now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, no, it, it's it, like, man. I have a hard time clocking in on this stuff too. It, it, it's difficult. So, um. Anyway, okay. You know what? We should we should do a Tina Bar episode together. <laughs> Look, I mean, let me explain to people this. I have my book has about. 300 pages at this point. There was one chapter left in my book and it's a Tina Barr chapter. I don't even want to write it. Like I'm almost tempted to like put out a Cooper book without even mentioning Tina Barr. Just, I, I want to give, give a big middle finger to Tina Barr. Like just say, you know what? I don't know. No opening English. You know, here's a, here's a three, here's a 300 page Cooper book with no mention of Tina Barr. Cause I hate it so much. It, it is evil. Like it, it's, uh, it, it is nothing, nothing bedevils the mind of man more than Tina Barr. Like it, it's, it makes no sense. Like it, nothing about it makes any sense. I hate it. Um, so anyway, all right, guys, peace out. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Marty. And I appreciate you. Bye folks.